Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. We're about to go into a message that I delivered recently, and I hope that it encourages you, it inspires you, and it launches you further in your walk with Jesus. That's my heart for you as you listen. If it does encourage you, why not share it with someone who you think could do with hearing it as well? And subscribe so that you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. For now, sit back, enjoy, and I hope that you get blessed. We're in the theme of up and out for the year and currently in the theme of the outsiders. And so this is very much a story of an outsider, someone who was down and out. The title of my message this morning is Dog Days Are Over. Dog Days Are Over. You'll know why in a minute. And um, if you know Florence and the Machine, you'll also have that song going through your head right now. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. It was an awesome concert, maybe. Um, this amazing, amazing story is found in the Old Testament at the time of David when David is just a brand new king, but it's not about him as such. It's about a man who lived in a place called Lodibar, and that, that term translated today means no pasture land. He lived in the most barren of places. No pasture land, no water, barren, dry, not the place you're going to go for a sea change or retirement, not a place you're going to choose out of preference, and yet he lived there out of need. It was a place he had to live, and it was quite tragic. I mean, to live in a place like that immediately implies poverty and hardship. It immediately applies seclusion and desolation. And it gets even more tragic because this man, the Bible tells us, could not walk. He was lame in his feet. But the the tragic part of the story is that he was not born that way. He wasn't born into poverty and obscurity. He wasn't born lame. It was the result of the occurrences of life. Anyone in the room can relate to life just sideswiping you every now and again. Or is it just me? Have I got any friends in the room? If you haven't, hang around. (laughs) And so it was the results of life that had put him in this situation. Actually, he was born royalty. He was actually born royalty. His dad was the prince and his grandfather was the king of Israel. And he was born whole and able-bodied. A healthy young male in the palace. And he would watch as his father and grandfather would go off to wars and and battles and conquer kingdoms and dominions and come back victorious. But at the age of five, as he waved his grandfather and father goodbye, they did not come home from that exploit. And in those days, you know, that's a really, really scary reality for the remaining family of that dynasty because the incoming king would always exterminate the previous dynasty, anyone attached to it, to prevent some, some kind of revolt or uprising. And so the nanny who was charged with his care, this young boy, five years old, scooped him up when she heard that the king and the prince had died in battle and went running to hide him and protect him and preserve his life. And in her running, she fell and dropped him and his legs broke and he was then crippled for the rest of his life. And so he found himself in this place called Lodibar, living in obscurity, 
living in less than what was his designed intent for life. And I want you to put your name in there. I don't know if you can relate. I definitely can relate and put my name in this story and say, you know what? It was me who ran at the first sign of trouble. It was me who crippled herself in my running. It was me who went into hiding out of fear and did more damage as I did so. It was me who found herself in a place of obscurity, poverty of self. It was me who found herself asking big questions. How did I end up here? How is this my life? I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, it was me. I don't believe you. Turn to the other person. That one snobbed you. We're going to find this story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's actually the truest illustration of grace we can find in the Old Testament. And it's a perfect parallel to my place and maybe your place today. This man with an unpronounceable name. A plus student in the second row. Mephibosheth. You say that? <laughs> Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Crippled and hiding with nothing to offer. And it's a parallel for today. It's a parallel for today because it's the same story you and I live. Let's read it. Second Samuel 9. Now David, who was the king, he's been, he's been a, a king for a little while and, and he's sitting back and reflecting and he says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul, King Saul, that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan was Saul's son. Jonathan was also David's best friend. And it's important for us to know that David and Jonathan were best friends. It's important for us to know that Saul um, knew that David would take the throne, but didn't want that to happen. Obviously wanted it to stay in the family line, and obviously that would have been Jonathan. Jonathan also knew David was going to take the throne because he had been anointing, anointed by the prophet. And so he made a promise. He made David make him a promise. When you become king, preserve my family. And so because they're best friends, David agreed and they made this promise. And so now we find David reflecting on this. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may uh, show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant from the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called Ziba to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. And the king said, Is there still not someone? Can you say someone? Of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness, the kindness of God. And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who's lame in both of his feet. And the king said to him, where is he? Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Emil in Lodibar. And the king sent and brought him. Can you say brought him? Out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil, from Lodibar. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore. Can you say restore? 
restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you will eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon a dead dog as I? Dog days are over. Mark's excited. He's always excited, and I praise the Lord for Mark. Who am I that you should look at such a dead dog as I? Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Zeba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem and ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his feet. I want to share this topic of grace this morning. Three thoughts. Three thoughts, simple, profound thoughts around the grace of God out of this man's life. And you know, dog days are over for all of us because of the king. Because of the king, I want you to realize that <laughs> that Jesus now, the Lord is now saying, is there anyone that I may show favor to, not for Jonathan's sake, for Jesus' sake. I made a covenant with my son. Is there anyone, anyone? Don't you love that there's no criteria? Don't you love that there's no prerequisites? Anyone. You know dog days are over when you're found. When you're found, when the, the cry is, is there anyone? Not anyone qualified, not anyone worthy, not anyone good enough, just anyone still alive that I can give grace to. And we hear Zeba and his response is, well, there is it's the son of Jonathan who's crippled in both of his feet. We have to actually listen to what Zeba's saying and read between the lines. He was a piece of work. If you continue reading the Bible, you'll recognize that he is. And he's actually implying a whole lot in that sentence. There is a son of Jonathan, David, who is crippled in both of his feet. What he's really saying is, David, just hang on. This guy's not like the mighty commanders and kings who you usually have at your table. David, just wait. He doesn't look right in the palace. He's not the sort of person you would normally have at your table. And I'm really glad that the Lord didn't listen to the commentary around my life when he asked, is there anyone? I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the Lord just, like David, because David doesn't even buy into it for a second. His immediate response is, where is he? He didn't say, really? How did that happen? Tell me more about that. He didn't even care about the commentary, where is he? So that I can go and get him. And I'm so glad. That is the story of my life. I'm so glad that the Lord was not interested in why I was crippled. He didn't for a minute, it didn't even, he didn't bat an eyelid at it. Where is she? Where is she? And then he goes and sends after. And you might think this morning, well, you know what? You may have family members who've said, if I walk into that church building, the roof's going to fall in on me. But you may personally, I know, I've been in ministry for long enough to know that we can look good on a Sunday, but on the inside, 
There's a whole bunch of narratives that are going on, disqualifying you from the call. Is there anyone that I can show grace to? Sometimes I give the Lord my own zebra commentary. Lord, are you sure? Like, just have a good look at me. Uh, pretty sure you've got the wrong address. Maybe you want my neighbors. But the Lord just says, is there anyone? Is there anyone? Grace is not picky. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can we just take a moment and thank God for the fact that grace is not picky? And the Lord, the, the king seeks him out. He seeks him out and he ran as a child and he's still hiding as an adult. We've met a lot of adults who are hiding. And I know I was hiding when he found me. I felt like I was in the bottom of the darkest pit. And he came and sat in there with me <laughs> and drew me out. And so our friend, friend Mephibosheth's been living for 20 years in obscurity and he hears a knock at the door. And he probably thought this was the end for him. Have you ever thought this thought? I know I did. If my past ever catches up with me. And so he's here going, it's finally arrived. My past has finally caught up with me. That's what he's thinking. He's thinking, I've managed to hide for this long, but the king's found me, and there's a knock at my door. And so he's probably expecting all of the worst. And, you know, there will be many situations in life, unexpected situations, circumstances that greet us out of the blue and reluctantly drag us into the presence of the king against our own will and preference. <laughs> We're dragged there into the presence of the king. We realize later that it's the goodness of God, but at the time it's not a really great prospect. And I wonder how many of us are sitting here this morning reluctantly, hiding. Spotlights are changing. But it's no accident. The king actually sent for you this morning. And it's important to know that you and I can't offer anything to him. I think in this generation, I was talking to my beautiful friend who stayed with me last night. She's preaching at another church. She's teaching on holiness this morning. And it's really important for us to realize there is nothing we can offer the king. But we live in a generation that tries to make God out to be like a desperate boyfriend No. Actually, I know the people who love Jesus the most and sacrificed everything are the ones who know I'm a dirty, rotten mess. And it's just the grace of God. It's the grace of God. I'm not the center of the story. He's the center of the story. And so he seeks us out regardless of our condition. He seeks us out regardless. He uses us in spite of ourselves. And in this moment, we see Mephibosheth throw aside his crutches and fall face down, bowing before the king who has all rights over his life. And he probably expected a sword. He expected a sword at his neck to hear the worst. And instead, he hears what I heard and maybe what you heard. Honor, 
restoration, family, a place at the king's table. You know dog days are over when you're favored beyond your own merit. We have to recognize that this is not a democracy, it's a kingdom. It's hard for us in democratic society to understand this. He's not asking for your vote or your opinion. Do you know the word of God is the word of God regardless of how I feel about it? The minute I surrender and submit to it, I start to flourish. God is really smart. He's just a bit smarter than me. And so when I submit to his ways, I flourish. I need to realize he's not taking a vote. It's a kingdom. And the quicker I realize that, the quicker I can live in the flourishing that he has for me. If we want our lives restored, we need to submit to the king who knows how we work, who knows how we function, who is limitless and endless. So we throw down the crutches that so pathetically hold us up and we throw ourselves before the presence of the king and recognize my life is in your hands. And God takes us from where we are to where he is. When we expect a sword, he gives us a crown. When we expect a life sentence, he gives us a feast. When we expect to be stripped of everything and the little that we might have, we receive a king's reward. And he humbly took his place at that table in the family of God. And right here is the true concept of restoration. Right here. Sitting at this table. At the table of God. And I know exactly what this feels like. I know what it feels like to limp around every day of my life. But when I sit here, and grace, the tablecloth of grace covers, and I look just like everybody else at the table in the presence of the Lord. It's really, really quite profound. Paul said about the thorn in his side, take it from me. The Lord said, no, no, my grace is sufficient for you. I love it. I love a church full of people who are limping, who recognize that their lives, they're only at the table by the grace of God. They're not trying to pretend. You can't hide it sometimes. And you know, most of us are like the rest of us. And if you're perfect, you might need to find another church. No perfect people here, just people who've thrown their crutches aside, surrendered their lives, pulled up at the table. So thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord. I will dwell in your presence. I will sit at your table. I will receive this gift of grace. I will live in your strength, not my own. I live in your will, not my own. Sit here in disbelief. I sat in David's palace two weeks ago, the actual 3,000-year-old building. There are very few places left that still remain, but David's palace does. And we walked in, and you know, we were very good tourists. I mean, we took photos of everything, but we couldn't take photos inside that place. We were so overwhelmed. I'm walking the same corridors as David did. 
David was here. And then the reason I'm preaching this message is because I got home and in the chronological Bible, I was up to the Mephibosheth story and I realized, I'm sitting in the same place Mephibosheth sat every day according to the grace of God. Sat there every day limped to and from that table every day, limped up and down the corridors every day. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be thankful and submitted and excited and receptive to the things of God in your life. You know dog days are over when you're favoured beyond your own merits. If you're still living in your own merits, you're not at the fullness of what the Lord has for you. To step in that place is complete abandonment and something more beautiful than you can ever, ever experience in your own strength. And finally, you know dog days are over when you're fruitful. In verse 12, it says, Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And every character study I've ever done, there's always, always the next generation always. And I am so humbled and so grateful. I well up with tears at the thought that I can, I can actually offer something back. My life can be fruitful for Him. And I'm not trying to earn my favour, but I'm offering back to Him out of love, honour, a young son. It's all He had to show for His life. I want to ask you this morning, what does the next generation of your life look like? What does the fruit of your life look like? Your children, the ones you're discipling in the Lord, the person whose path that you cross and it just strikes you in the heart, you know that's your assignment. And maybe you've abdicated that. Maybe you've pushed it to the side, ignored it because you're busy actually all the Lord cares about is the fruit around your life. That's what He's going to hold you accountable for, the fruit around your life. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well. Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.